Today's episode of Eco Chic is brought to you by Sawyer. Sawyer's goal is, and always has been, to improve your outdoor experience while also making a difference in people's lives. I'm personally a huge hiker, a big outdoor advocate. Sawyer makes products that seriously elevate that outdoor experience. Insect repellents for your clothes and gear, sunscreen that's formulated to actually stay put, and first aid products specific for your ultra lightweight backpacking and camping. The insect repellent is especially cool because it doesn't stink like a lot of other insect repellents, and there's no worse feeling after a day outside than being sticky and smelly from your bug spray. Sawyer also has water filtration systems, which help support their international water relief programs. They're on a mission to make sure every single person on the planet has access to clean, healthy water. For more information on Sawyer or where to buy their products, check out their buy page on Sawyer.com, which features online retailers and a local retailer locator. You can use the code ECPOD25, which is good for 25% off Sawyer products at SawyerSafeTravel.com. Everything you do is making an impact in this world. This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. How dare you? And I feel like it's my responsibility as a human being. So what? The world is at stake. You're listening to Eco Chic, a podcast about climate, sustainability, and eco-conscious lifestyles. What, like it's hard? Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well. This episode is coming out outside of our regularly scheduled Tuesday releases, and for that, I very thoroughly apologize. My personal life, family life has been hectic lately, and I was unexpectedly just unable to work for a little over a week. I'm behind on everything, and I haven't showed up on social media in a while or this feed for our usual release, and for that, I'm really sorry. I advocate a lot about just giving people grace and practicing gratitude, and I do have a lot to be thankful for right now, especially as the world is facing a health crisis, but I'm working on giving myself some grace for releasing our Tuesday episode on a Friday night. Thank you for your patience and your understanding and your willingness to hang out with me here today. I appreciate you, and I'm really happy to be sharing today's episode because it was a conversation that I love, love, love. We're speaking with Susie Amos Cameron and Samata of Red Carpet Green Dress, one of my very, very favorite role model organizations bringing sustainable fashion to the public eye. This is going to be a great one for you to listen to because it was really fun and easy, and I felt like I learned so much from Susie and Samata in the way that my cool, smart friends would teach me things. They are both so kind and warm and also brilliant in a way that is understandable and attainable and makes sustainability feel personal while also very, very forward-thinking. Red Carpet Green Dress is a woman-led, global, change-making organization from moment to movement, bringing sustainable design to the forefront of the conversation and action within the fashion industry. Red Carpet Green Dress is celebrating its 11th year this year. It is the campaign that brings sustainable fashion to the red carpet, award season, most notably the Oscars, the Academy Awards, but throughout the year, they're making high fashion more eco-conscious. Red Carpet Green Dress was conceived by Susie Amos Cameron. She's an actress, an environmental advocate, the author of OMD, One Meal a Day, the simple plant-based program to save your health, save your waistline, and save the planet. She's also the wife of James Cameron, famed filmmaker and environmentalist. Fun fact, Titanic was the first movie that made me cry. 
But anyway, Susie Cameron was on a press tour with James Cameron for the film Avatar, and that's when Red Carpet Green Dress was truly conceived. Samata is the CEO of Red Carpet Green Dress, and she is a brilliant, forward-thinking powerhouse of influence on the fashion industry. It is the coolest thing to have a three-way conversation because they both have such interesting connections and contributions to the fashion space. We all speak a bit more about that inception point of how this campaign came to be during our conversation. The goal of Red Carpet Green Dress is to draw attention to the importance of more sustainable fashion practices and be a part of bringing those solutions to a global market. Red Carpet Green Dress recently launched an eco couture textile range in partnership with Tencel Lux, bringing innovative, biodegradable solutions to the fashion industry. We talk a little bit more about this brilliant new partnership and its adjacent design contest towards the end of our episode. Their work engages designers, fashion houses, talent, celebrities, artisans, textile manufacturers, every crucial piece of the equation bringing a look to the red carpet, Plus, they're creating internships and work experiences and opportunities for emerging designers. So bringing that next generation of fashion minds into the mentality of starting with sustainability. Their previous campaigns are really cool because they spotlight specific issues in the fashion industry, like using recycled plastic textiles on a red carpet dress to highlight the issue of trash, waste, or outside of the finished dress products. Red Carpet Green Dress has also brought together heads of global fashion houses with environmental organizations like Greenpeace. Red Carpet Green Dress is truly a solutions-focused campaign, an organization, a movement. Red Carpet Green Dress actually started as a design contest, and that on its own intends to challenge designers to create an Oscar-worthy dress made entirely of sustainable materials, while actors wearing those dresses advocate a message of sustainability and longevity within the global fashion industry. We speak about specific talent in this episode that has worn their gowns, and I will be sharing on our Instagram page some of those mentioned actors and dresses and innovative designs. That being said, make sure you pop on over and follow us on Instagram at Podcast. We are also on Facebook, and now I'm personally on Twitter. You can sign up for our newsletter at totallyecochic.com, and that's also the site for our little shop if you'd like to support the show. If you like this episode, you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to shows so you never miss an episode of Eco Chic. I am very, very honored and thankful for this opportunity to speak with Susie and Samata. Red Carpet Green Dress is an organization that I have personally admired for years. I love what they do, and I have so, so much respect and appreciation for the way they're making sustainability not only attractive, but beautiful and iconic and historic making eco-conscious fashion the new standard of couture. I highly encourage everyone to look through some of their previous collaborations. You can find them on their site, rcgdglobal.org, which will be linked in the show notes. I will also have additional information on Susie's OMD One Meal a Day initiative in the show notes. We talk a little bit about that towards the end of the episode and the reason that you can be so passionate about fashion and food, where that connection truly lies. The show notes are packed with good references and resources for you, as always. So with all of that, let's get into the episode. Welcome, Susie Amos Cameron and Samata of Red Carpet Green Dress. We are speaking all about conscious couture, encouraging sustainability among fashion houses, and the future of textiles. (music) 
So I am really excited to have you both here, Susie and Samata, because I love Red Carpet Green Dress. I really love what you guys do. And I would love to just like jump right into the conversation and talk a little bit about sustainable fashion and specifically just sustainable red carpet fashion. What does it look like today? And what does that really mean at the basic level for y'all? For us, I think this campaign really started with the red carpet moment that Susie had when she was attending the Oscars with her husband. And being such a conscious and kind of clued up woman, she was aware that, you know, this is a question I'm going to be asked. What are you wearing? What are you wearing? And I think it was just so insightful that she decided to take that question and turn it on its head and make it a conversation about fashion and the role that fashion plays in, you know, essentially polluting and being impactful on the environment. And so that was kind of the premise of how it began. It's like this beautiful design on the red carpet, but like, what is the story behind this design? What is the, what are the implications for people who are passionate about sustainability and when it comes to red carpet design? So when I think about that moment, it was really a really amazing, beautiful example of a design that used solutions such as, you know, certified silks and recycled linings. But it was the beginning. It was like the opening of the box around what sustainable design on the red carpet could look like. And that's evolved so much to be, you know, a very deep and nuanced conversation. I mean, Susie, how, how do you feel like, you know, for that first red carpet moment and, and that dress? <laughs> Right. Well, when we decided to do the dress design contest, I just thought that it was going to be a breeze, a no-brainer. And what we found out very quickly was that finding sustainable fabrics was not the easiest thing in the world. Deb Scott, who won the Oscars for costume design for Titanic, she was actually the one who built the dress. And two days after we announced our winner, she came to me you know, with this look on her face and took my shoulders and said, I can't find fabric. And I said, what do you mean you can't find fabric? And she said, well, I have found this fabric called peace silk, which is a sustainably sourced silk and where they don't, they don't boil the, the worms. But what she found out was, you know, they weren't boiling the worms, but what they were doing is they were using children to harvest the silk from the worms with their nimble, sweet little fingers and then giving them sl slingshots to kill the birds trying to eat the worms. <laughs> so all of a sudden it became, it went from, you know, this environmental issue to a social issue. And we did ultimately find a company that was making peace silk, not using children and their or their slingshots. Um, <laughs> so you know, it all turned out. It all turned out okay. And each year, it's gotten incrementally easier to source fabric. And then there was a exponential jump, probably some I don't know two three years ago. Yeah. Where people were really getting hip to the idea of oh, yeah. we don't have to, you know, completely destroy our, our land or our waterways yeah. to make a beautiful dress. And, you know, this past year, I have to say, is, you know, even more exciting. And I'm going to let Mata talk about our new partnership, which is really, really exciting. But it's gotten so much easier. And people really are interested in more sustainable. And I, the, the word sustainable, it's a... It always is vexing for me um, because we don't want to sustain fashion as it is at all. Mm -hmm. So we want to reinvent the way we are creating fashion and people are more interested in it. You know, all my children 
they just want to go shopping at the thrift store, which is, you know, one of the best ways of just reusing, reusing things. But it, you know, this idea of clothing and on our bodies, it's when you pull that string, you know, on your favorite sweater and it's like, oh no, my favorite sweater is going away. Or you're peeling back an onion, you know, there are layers to this because there's also the fact that there are clothes that we wear that we exercise in, intimates, whatever they might be, that actually the way they are dyed, the way they are milled, the chemicals that they use for that are actually seeping into our skin, which is our largest organ. And they are highly detrimental to our health, whether they're cancer causing or endocrine disruptors. It's not just about a pretty dress on the carpet. It really is about the fact that we all wear clothes every single day. And how are we going to do that in a conscious way? I love what Susie just said, because what she also kind of touched on is like the different uh, lenses through which we view sustainable fashion on the red carpet, you know. So she get, she gave the example of the first year where we had the whole struggle to find textiles and what Deb Scott and Susie and Gillian went through to kind of finally ultimately find a solution that worked. But like every single year on that red carpet, like we are constantly trying to show that there are nuances to this conversation. You can look at it from the lens of kind of no waste, just circular economy you can look at it through the lens of certified materials that have that stamp from like gots and all those other ones or you can look at cradle to cradle you can look at it from the perspective of like the dyes you know we worked with Greenpeace for a couple of our gowns and we really focused on botanic dyes but every single year we are keen to show that sustainable fashion and I'm with Susie on this whole thing about not wanting to sustain fashion but sustainable fashion has many definitions to a global audience and so we need to include that audience in our dialogue with these designs that we're um, kind of using as a showcase for it and not just look at only focusing on vintage or only focusing on natural dyes because that one solution is not going to cure the entire problem it's moving all of the different solutions forward or at least showcasing Mm. them on our platform to let people know that there are options out there and you should be flexible um, and open to learning about these different options, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I like what you mentioned about the global audience and bringing people into the conversation. And I like the idea that it's not just about shopping vintage or using botanical dyes. There are a lot of options under this, you know, quote unquote, sustainable couture Mm -hmm. umbrella. And I would love to hear a little bit about the response from the individuals that are wearing these gowns, that are wearing these red carpet fashion designs. You said it's gotten easier in the last few years to actually create the designs. How have you felt like the response has changed from the people who are actually wearing these things on the red carpet? Are they coming to you? Are you prompting them to choose a sustainable dress? What does that process look like in that conversation? So Susie and I, we've been through it. We've been mm-hmm. through it. <laughs> As she so accurately said at the beginning, it was it was like a tussle um, in the beginning. Conversations behind the scenes to get people to understand that A, they weren't going to look a hot mess, you know, B, that it was going to be relevant, C, you know, all of these issues people had around, well, what is that? What does that mean? What's it going to look like? And it was really difficult in the beginning. 
I would say that having the conversations with the talent, it was, it was, it's always been something where they're learning about this. They're very open to learning about it, but it wouldn't be something I would say in the beginning they were clued up about and really like, yeah, yeah, I know all about this. You know, I, I can hit the ground running. It was an educational process for them. And we're very fortunate that the talent we've worked with have been open to learning about this. But as Susie said, in the beginning, getting the talent conversations going was very difficult. And even some of the fashion houses, apart from Vivian Westwood um, at the beginning, who we'd worked with so many times, and she they got it so quickly. In the beginning, it was hard to get other fashion brands to kind of have the conversation with us because they feared backlash about, well, we're not doing this and it's not enough and we don't want to get kind of shot down if we're only doing a tiny thing. So there's a lot of challenges it's not just with the talent it's with the designers and all of that but over the years it's got easier and like Susie said I would say about two years ago three years ago we were in the very rare and fortunate position where people were coming to us even before the Oscars we'd love to be considered for like next year we'd we'd love to put these people forward and so that's got easier and to answer your question about the talent people certain talent has really kind of absorbed it in a different way like Priyanka Bose for example who is an incredible Indian actor she was in Lion and I think it could be a cultural thing from India and very much being um, part of a design community she really appreciated the craft craftsmanship elements of things and it's something she actually applies in her own life like shopping with artisans asking questions about where the clothing's made so she was very um clued up I would say and then other people have just been open about not knowing but being interested in it and that's been really refreshing we're really open to that as well because we have to be willing to share what we know and not make people feel like they can't ask a question you know Right. Right. That makes sense because a lot of this is also on the educational side of it. And as you continue to educate the talent, these people are in turn bringing it to their audiences. So I think it's one of those great like force multiplication type educational opportunities, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah. And I would say on that, like one of the people that really kind of gave me a lot of joy in in my heart, and I I know Susie's proud of all of the ambassadors, but for me personally, I was so excited when we had Lakeith Stanfield because he speaks to a whole other community and having him on board and articulating kind of our message I just found it very very um, uplifting because he's bringing in a whole other audience as well for us that you know wouldn't necessarily have paid attention to red carpet fashion in that way so for me that was a personal kind of joy plus he's super fun (laughs) he was so much fun (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah he was a blast (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love that. And Susie, do you have a favorite like talent acquisition that you've had recently in recent years that you've been so proud to have them on board? You know, it's so funny. As we've gone along, I think every year I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so amazing. They're here and we're all working together. And then it's like the next year. Oh my gosh, it's so amazing. They're here and they're, you know. So we've had, I just think across the board, it's just been such a positive experience and getting to know these people and some of them have been really clued into sort of that eco-conscious way of living and then others really haven't but then they've come into our world been educated on it and they have taken off and made changes in their lives because of being surrounded by people that walk the walk so it's really hard to put my finger on one specific person I think it's hard I know it really is it was so fun working with Vivian Westwood you know because she's she's so 
she walks the walk. This woman, you know, rides her bicycle through London at 9 p.m. at night or later. <gasps> yeah, uh, we were, yeah, we were there for a dinner and I want to say it was early February and yeah. she showed up for dinner at nine o'clock very, with her cheeks very pink because she'd been riding her bicycle across London. <laughs> so she's quite a character and, and amazing and way ahead of the game. And then the, having the, pleasure and honor of being able to work with Louis Vuitton was their team was they're so open and so fresh and they were so eager and actually they loved the challenge of it which was really fun to watch so we've just been blessed with these you know the people that have come into our world yeah yeah, it sounds like it. And I think I like the idea of presenting this as a challenge for designers because it kind of is in a sense. It forces you to really rethink your supply chain and your design process and how you're truly constructing a look. Yeah, I think the idea of a challenge is a really cool way to put it for fashion houses. And that also brings me to ask you a little bit about the supply chain, more back-end process of red carpet green dress. So I'd love to talk to you a little bit about textiles, about how these raw materials are really being sourced and getting to the fashion houses and what is the back end of all of this look like? I enjoy it because no two years are the same. And initially that was something that you'd probably think is, oh, that must be kind of quite fatiguing because you don't know what to expect. But it just means that we've just learned so much and we've been so agile and had to be quite dynamic because no two years are the same. So if we think about like the supply chain, because ultimately we're creating, if we look at just the Oscars project, because Red Carpet Green Dress is an, like it's an all year round kind of organization. It's, you know, we have activities, collaborations that we do outside of the Oscars, but the Oscars is ultimately going to be one, two or three dresses, you know, and um, a tuxedo a suit, you know. So we're looking ultimately creating three or four kind of pieces that are going to be worn on this red carpet. And so sometimes we've approached it with the fashion house where they've been very transparent with us and said, look, you know, we don't know where to begin with sourcing these textiles. Like Susie said at the beginning, Deb Scott was like, what do we do? And that was very much a collaborative process of them like trying to find the P-Silk solution without the social responsibility issues and challenges. Other years, we as an organization who do spend like a lot of time throughout the year looking for solutions, will be able to present to fashion houses and say, okay, so we've shortlisted these textiles or these are textile manufacturers that we've kind of gone and had conversations with and present them with options. So we don't always expect the fashion houses to kind of step to us with the textiles and that's changing a lot in the future and we can talk about that. So it, it's very much um, different each year. Like the year that we worked with Lakeith, that was incredible because the brand themselves had just had so much of a time researching the, the Tusa Silk, you know, and it was something that they'd actually specialized in trying to find the solution. So they actually said, look, we've got this incredible solution. And then as an organization, we have to vet that. And I'm just talking about textiles now, but I know you're aware that we look at everything. We look at the materials, we look at the textile waste, we look at the chemical usage. So we need to evaluate the dye process, you know, and the different certifications for that, you know, and if there are any. So some years we'll have to see the certificates for how has this been dyed and where has it been dyed and who's dyed it. Other years, we have actually brought in local kind of businesses to dye the textile ourselves. You know, we worked with an incredible 
natural dye specialist in London called um, Dyeing Art, and actually there's another one in the UK, to do Naomi Harris's dress. And that was dyed with like goldenrod and chamomile. So sometimes we'll pull in our own kind of community to bring them on board on the projects. So we look at the dyes, we look at kind of the facilities within which processes are taking place. So is that kind of OSHA approved, whatever those need to be. And then the transparency element. So we're quite proud because we can say that for all of our pieces, we can be very transparent about who's touched them, who's made them, where the textiles come from, what the dye was, all of that. But like I said, these are one-off pieces. So you're not talking about a fashion house that's putting out a lot of product every like other day we're looking at kind of these one-off pieces that are being made and making sure that we can provide that I think you could call it an audit <laughs> an eco <Right>. audit <laughs> for for those pieces that can hold you know stand the test of time and answer the questions that need to be answered about them so it's really different each year and that's why I kind of try and give examples of how we've approached it all the different years but I can kind of dive into more specifics if you'd like, if there's like a specific focus you'd like me to, to share with you. Yeah, well, I think that you definitely cover a lot of ground. And I think the idea of an eco audit is a really good way to put it because you're right. It's not a full collection that you have to say where are all of these pieces coming from and how are they being sourced. It's yeah one piece and in a sense that gives you a good grasp of the details of where we eventually need to go where we hope to see fashion in multiple decades so i think the topic of waste is interesting to me just because i feel like when you say waste this wasn't something that was like initially on my mind when i was first looking at some examples of the looks that you've supported i was thinking about waste because I believe the statistic is something like the fashion industry is the second most polluting industry in the world after oil. I think that the topic of waste in red carpet looks is really interesting because in theory, if you are putting together a really intricate piece, I have to imagine that there would be a lot of waste associated with that. So what is like that part of it? Is waste a big topic for y'all in the audit process? Yeah, so it's interesting that you ask about that because red carpet fashion, I think, is quite, um, it's quite a controversial subject. And there was a really fantastic article, a WWD article on this space around the fact that when you get to red carpet season, you know, there's a lot of moving, like you've got stylists that are traveling, you know, across continents or like shipping lots of gowns for like that talent to ultimately wear one. And there's a lot around how red carpet fashion can be part of contributing to waste not just physical literal tangible waste in the sense of textiles or you know all of the trials that you go through to ultimately land on one gown you know like trying different colors on the textile trying different cuts all of that stuff when you're doing something bespoke and then you ultimately say this is what we're going with so you've got tangible waste and then you've got maybe the intangible waste which is somebody flying like across the world to do like with a suitcase of gowns, for example. And is that the most effective way to push a message, right? So I think there are nuances to waste, if that makes sense, which I hope it does. Yes, it does. Right, so when we look at like specifically red carpet green dress, we look at the textile waste, of course. So it's strange because when we worked with Michael Badger, he's Ghanaian, and it's really interesting when we discuss waste culturally that it was an inherent thing to him 
like this whole idea of zero waste because culturally he's from a country, Ghana, like myself, where when you cut textiles, you really don't waste any. Like even you, you know, you make your dress and the offcuts of that are typically used for a headband, a head wrap, a bag. Like the idea of wasting it is almost counter to the design. So he grasped that really quickly. So some years we've worked with people that understand the technical side of not wasting textiles and they get it really, really easily. And we do kind of focus on that as well. But then also with red carpet green dress, these pieces are being made bespoke, you know. So we aren't doing um, a kind of trial and error to ultimately see a fit. Like there's a sketch that's made and then, you know, we focus on the sketch element first and kind of get the sign off with that before the production side of it even begins. And so in another way, it's not presenting talent with like four or five different options and saying you choose one, these have all been made for you to wear. It's making one bespoke piece that's been kind of analysed and landed on before construction even begins, which I think is really important because behind the scenes of red carpet dressing, there are lots of prototypes that are made and nothing happens to them. They're made and they're tried on and they're discarded because they weren't right. So we don't do that either. Then we also look at encouraging all of the brands and designers we work with to either use recycled or archival textiles. So when you're talking about the lining or something like that, the zips, the buttons, you know, we've done focuses on vintage. Use what exists is one of the things that we say, incorporate that into your design where possible so you're not also wasting. So that's another thing that we try and do. And then I think the other thing that I think is quite important with red carpet fashion and waste is I think what happens to the pieces afterwards. For us, we're quite fortunate because all of these beautiful gowns that have been created, you know, they're very much still part of our archive and they're pieces that we plan to repeat and will be repeated in the future. I know Susie's a couple of the dresses <laughs> for red carpet future events. So just reintroducing them and showing that being worn once does not mean that's the end of that beautiful conversation is another way that we try and make sure that we're not part of a conversation that promotes waste. So I think those are just some of our approaches to how we try and tackle it. Yeah, I like the idea of normalizing repeating an outfit. Yeah. I think that that's something that the fashion industry is definitely slowly becoming more open to. Mm -hmm. And I think that in the last few award seasons, we've seen a lot of that. Like the one that comes to mind immediately is Jane Fonda, who rewore a dress from 10, 15 years prior, which I think is so cool. And then I like the idea of also using these outfits and using these pieces as archival parts of a history that we can really see sustainable fashion evolving over time. I think that also the idea of museums, like we look at the Met that is so open to the fashion industry. Clearly you have entire museum collections that are showcasing really beautifully made pieces, really appreciating the entire design process that goes into one particular dress, one particular look. I think that's really important. And I like the idea of looking at them not only as an archive, but as a piece of art and looking at it as something that we can go back to as a historical reference almost. Absolutely. I mean, I love what you, when you say that we talk about the Emma Roberts dress. That was from Armani's first runway collection. And, and we talk about the kind of the beading and the artisan skills that went on to Zoe Deutsch's dress. You know, and again, it's just this focus on craftsmanship and ultimately like treasuring the things that people have taken time to make. And so that's why the story around the pieces is really important because I think when you build a story, you build an emotional connection 
and then there's this kind of desire to kind of keep that connection and we want people to take that into their homes. I mean, Susie, you really talked to me in the beginning about like, like your Levi's and you know those early items that you've had that have just lasted and that there's like an emotional connection there. Oh yeah, totally. In fact, just, I don't know, maybe it was two, three weeks ago because my kids are like, oh man, 501 Levi's are awesome. I said, you want to see how awesome they really are? And I pulled out my 501s from high school wow. and I put them on, they're like, oh, dude, mom, those are so dope. <laughs> so they're, you know, and then, you know, the next thing is like, you know, so we were like looking for vintage 501s online for them to get because we can't, you know, actually go to a thrift store right now. I think making those, making those investments and things, I have cashmere sweaters from when I was 17, 18, 19 years old. And if you, you buy something of quality and you just take really good care of it, you wear it forever. I mean, I still love the idea of being able to, and I've, you know, I've said this before, I actually don't like the idea of fashion in the way that we see it, that it's per season and that if you wear it next season, you're the biggest dork in the universe. And, you know, you look outdated and all of that stuff. I mean, it is shifting because kids these days are really into like retro things and, and, you know, used clothing or reused clothing, things like that. Um, But I just love the idea of clean lines that you could wear when you're 18 years old and you can also wear them when you're 81. Yeah. Things that are simple. I mean, Armani is the king of that. Yeah. Simple, clean lines that you can wear over and over and over. And it doesn't matter how old you are. I think that things like that are amazing. Circling back to the stories. Yeah. My favorite story about our dresses was the Vivian Westwood dress that was dyed with goldenrod. It has the gold pieces on it are chocolate wrappers. Yeah. Yeah. You're kidding. No. Mixed in with these beautiful vintage beads that were hand sewn into it. So you've got, you know, little pieces of gold foil and these gorgeous vintage beads, you know, hand sewn. I mean, that dress alone is, I just think it's such a standout in terms of creating a narrative around a a dress. Yeah. The journey of it. And how many hours went in Savada to, to putting the beads on it? It was like hundred and something. Yeah, so that was actually, it's so interesting you said that. So that was the Royal School of Needlework. And when we're talking about like craftsmanship and that kind of thing, you know, in terms of just in appreciating the nimble fingers that do this work, we worked with the Royal School of Needlework and they worked with our student to do all of that embroidery. And it was hundreds of hours actually, but it was also kind of like an art project for the students at the Royal School of Needlework to be involved in with our winning designer Michael Badger which was just so so lovely because it was just this transfer of like knowledge and it was exciting for them so that was super super cool so yeah that was a favorite dress and it was Ferrero Rocher wrappers (laughs) so cool oh yeah Yeah. right (laughs) it was it was awesome oh I love that talk about like zero waste innovation really thinking outside the box. I love that. Yeah. 
yeah, it was just amazing. But I wanted to just say the last thing on that was mm-hmm. we believe when we talk about waste and like, you know, vintage and reusing, we believe that's and um, rewearing, sorry, we think that's so important. But we've also always said that we can't just focus on just rewearing because ultimately with red carpet events, there'll always be new items created for these events. Like not every single person will be rewearing. And actually vintage doesn't speak to every body shape. You know, that's a whole right. other thing. Because it's created, don't get many red carpet samples for like certain body shapes or body sizes. And it's quite limiting for other people that can't fit into vintage because it's just not designed for their body shape. So that's why we still say that we still have to talk about how we create new fashion because vintage isn't the solution to everything. And if we keep making fashion the way that it's being made, then we're we're literally going to just drown in this situation where we're creating stuff that's not sustainable. So it's like what Susie said at the beginning, like we don't want to sustain fashion how it is right now. (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely correct because I definitely feel the same way. Vintage fashion isn't always inclusive to all body shapes. So not only is it not inclusive, but it also doesn't always speak to people. Maybe you just don't like the vintage options that are available to you. And you're totally right. It's about going to the source and making better choices to begin with. So these really beautiful pieces can be reworn in X amount of years if there is someone who is so inclined. So I think that you really are covering a lot of ground because sustainable fashion, and especially when we talk about sustainable red carpet fashion, Mm. it has to include all of these different things. It's it's pretty closed-minded actually to think that it's just about being vintage or just about thrifting or just about whatever. Right. You have to think big picture. You really do. Because like when Susie and I, you know, we have these really exciting conversations about our talent and, you know, it's really good to open our, our minds to like who represents our campaign. And we've worked with so many different people, which is like something we're so proud of. But the year that we worked with, um, specifically with Danielle McDonald, we had some real conversations with her because she said like, I don't even know where I could go for sustainable fashion for my, you know, for her body shape. You know, she was struggling um, and her stylist was like, I just don't know where to go. She was having to just be so creative to dress her because the kind of availability was just not there. So that's a whole other conversation, but, but I'm glad it's come up, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I would love to switch gears a little bit and just talk super briefly about some exciting new news that you have coming out. I'd love to hear a little bit about this upcoming partnership. I will let Samada elaborate on it because, you know, she's been the Wonder Woman who has basically made it all happen. But we have created a partnership with Tencel Lux and we now have our very own red carpet green dress textiles. Yes. And they couldn't be more sustainable. They're actually made out of wood pulp. We're so excited about it. And Samadhi, you might want to talk about the first step that we're taking with using the fabrics. Yes. Um, So like Susie said, one of the things for me that's always just been so motivating about being part of a red carpet story is, you know, Susie is somebody that, you know, obviously is hugely inspirational, but for her, I think it's really about like, it's about impact. How is what we're doing kind of moving the needle, you know? And I think when you're talking about a platform like the Oscars, like we, it's so impactful in terms of the eyeballs that are on that carpet and the global impact our campaign has had is been quite staggering you know we have millions billions of views but we really started to think about what is an area that we can really like lean into and make a difference and like Susie said in the beginning 
one of the biggest challenges that she had with the design that Deb Scott facilitated was textiles. And over the years, I can honestly say it's always been a bit of a challenge because you start doing not the same thing, but okay, it's the, got the Global Organic Textile Standard Certification. Okay, cool. We've done that. You know, we've got that certification. Okay, it's recycled plastic. We've done that. But ultimately, we started to feel like there was a more sustainable option. So we partnered up with Tencel Lux because, you know, textiles matter. Like clothing represents more than 60% of the textiles that are used globally. And in the last like 15 years, clothing production has basically doubled. So we can't have a fashion industry without textiles. But the impact that textiles is having on the planet is like quite devastating. I don't know if you know some of the stats, but it, you know, like lies on really non-renewable resources, like 98 million tons per year of non-renewable resources, including oil. Like that to me is just so staggering and overwhelming. So we reached out and built a relationship with Tencel Lux and we developed our own textiles, which use their really innovative filament yarn, which is like Susie said, made from wood pulp. It's from sustainably managed sources. And we have these really beautiful textiles that we unveiled earlier this year at the Oscars. So that was just, you know, an incredible way to start the year. Red Carpet Green Dress started as a design contest and we are gearing up to launch our first design contest in, I think, Susie, it's been four years, four or five years. Yeah, yeah. so we're resurrecting it. We're resurrecting it. Yeah. Yes. So we're super excited because we're partnering with Tencel Lux and it's going to be a global design contest that launches next week. And we will be choosing a winning gown designer and a winning suit designer who will be dressing two ambassadors for us. And we're going to reveal a bit more about the platform, etc. later. But it's just a really exciting time because we get to engage with the global design community again, who've been supporting Susie and, and what we're doing with Red Carpet. And then the last kind of exciting element is the contest itself is also supporting kind of two crucial industry organizations. We have the Awaj Foundation in Bangladesh and the Fifth Pillar in Myanmar. And so we're going to be directing funds to help the garment workers there who've been impacted by the pandemic. So we're super excited. Congratulations. That's amazing. I'm so excited to see it. And I feel like this is such a good time to launch that news because I feel like award season should in any other year be ramping up right about now. And people are thinking more about red carpet fashion. And I think that there's really a need for it and people want to see this. And I can't wait to watch this all unfold. Yes. And just to, to piggyback on it a little bit, two of our dresses from this season were actually made with our new fabric. Yes, yes, they were. Um, so the dress that, so one of our kind of ambassadors won the Oscar for learning to skate in a war zone if girl, and she wore the one that was beautiful kind of Tencel Luxe cashmere blend, stunning fabric, which is biodegradable. So you can expect that particular one to basically biodegrade, you know, under industrial home soil and marine conditions within like one to three years, which is amazing. And then the other fabric was used by Louis Vuitton on the red carpet for that gown, which was beautifully worn by Leah Seju. So they've already been introduced to the world and have looked so incredibly beautiful. So we will be retailing those textiles later this year, which is super cool as well. That is so exciting. That's so exciting. <laughs> Again, congratulations. This is just like, I honestly can't wait to see it. Thank you. Yeah, it feels good. I would love to just close off. I know we've spoken a lot about specific looks and specific fashion houses. I would love to close off just asking y'all both, is there a particular dress that you were just 
very much a fan of your favorite red carpet green dress piece in recent years <laughs> oh this is a hard one it's a hard oh, question no. i think i think my favorite one was the baby blue louis vuitton dress that laura harrier wrote wore yeah that was that's my favorite gorgeous beautiful yeah the beading on that was just so stunning it was just so intricate wasn't it and just it was hand breed uh, the handmade embroidery was by vermont paris and it was just it was breathtaking that was incredible I think for me, my favourite one, I think just for the emotional connection, representing how much we've grown was Elena's. Elena Andreacheva, who won for Learning to Skate in a War Zone, if you're a girl. It's not so much about, um, you know, preferring one brand over the other, but it was, the, it was what it represented. The design was stunning. I love that we worked with a small independent designer called Laura Baski, you know, in her LA Atelier. And I loved that it was using our textile, you know, because that was quite a special moment for, for me to see a textile that we will be retailing look so beautiful on the red carpet. And then to see her on stage holding her Oscar at the end of the night and knowing, you know, what it meant to her. And it was just a really beautiful moment. But to be honest, I, I love like the dresses for the different different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I completely understand that. And I think that's a good way to put it, that it's representative of a textile that is now being brought, thankfully, to market. And I think it's, I mean, I think a textile is such a smart idea because like you were saying, that's one of the biggest challenges in creating a really beautiful, high quality red carpet dress it's the textiles and now here you are not just choosing a sustainable fabric or not just choosing you know a good green fabric but you're doing one step more and I think that the idea of wood pulp as a textile is so interesting it's so net positive yeah and incredibly innovative it really is it really is. I mean, it's a clue. It's really like a closed loop technology. So like, and the beauty is it that you can trace those fine filaments to the source, you know? So when you talk about transparency, you can do that. And it's just, it's so exciting for us to, to be able to do this because if you're talking about impact and you're talking about kind of the alternatives, you know, the plastic microfibers entering the ocean, you know, we're looking at in excess of 22 million tons in the next 20 years, like that needs to be nipped in the bud. So being part of something that can help move in that direction is super cool for us. I would just like to give the audience a little opportunity to make a difference in the world. And people are always asking, because I think a lot of people get paralyzed especially right now. I mean, there are a lot of silver linings, as you well know, because you're a climate scientist, a lot of silver linings to the fact that we are all inside and people aren't driving, people aren't flying and, you know, our air is clear and our waterways are cleaning up and, you know, fish in the Venice canals and things like that. So that's all really, really positive. But people get paralyzed because they don't think they can do anything really to help the environment or help climate beyond cycling, changing your light bulbs, you know, maybe one meal a day. And it's not about eating one meal a day. It's about changing only one of your meals a day to a plant-based meal. And it's not about, you know, becoming vegan completely. Although of course, in a, in a secret world, I would love if, if everybody did, because I know the impact of it. But if you change, if you swap out just one of your meals a day to a plant-based meal, one person 
doing that for one year will save 200,000 gallons of water and the carbon equivalent of driving from Los Angeles to New York. So it can be something as simple as putting soy milk on your cereal instead of cow's milk, having a bean and veggie burrito instead of a beef burrito, putting tomato sauce on your pasta instead of a cheese sauce or a meat sauce. But now there are all these amazing cheeses and plant-based meats that are out there that you can use to, to recreate those favorites that you might have. But we talked earlier about the fact that fashion is the second leading cause of pollution in the world. Animal agriculture is the second leading cause of greenhouse gases and climate change. More than all transportation combined, every car, every airplane, every bus, every ship, everything. So you can, uh, every time you sit down to have food, you can either be hurting the environment by having animal products on your plate, or you can be helping the environment by having plant-based options on your plate. So I put that out there as an invitation to start to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that because I was curious to hear a little bit about the connection between food and fashion for you, Susie, because I'm familiar with the OMD movement. And I think it's so interesting that you can be so passionate about both of these things that are such huge contributors to environmental concerns that we have, fashion and pollution. And like you mentioned, animal agriculture with the greenhouse gas emissions. So I'm really glad that you put that out there for the audience because the idea of just one meal a day, the idea of just doing a little bit every day for the planet, being a little bit more conscious of your plate, being a little bit more conscious of perhaps the clothing you're buying, whatever it may be, it doesn't have to be a huge lifestyle shift. It's just a little bit of consciousness. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's what you put on your body and what you put in your body and you can take it even to another level, which, you know, I have founded a school. So it's also what you're putting in your brain, how you're educating yourself and your children. And those kind of steps are, you know, I think as an individual, you can actually help make a difference and bring more consciousness into this world. I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with Susie Amos Cameron and Samata of Red Carpet Green Dress. Like I mentioned, I will have a bunch of links in the show notes for you to look more into their work, their previous campaigns, Susie's OMD One Meal a Day initiative. All of that will be in the show notes, as well as sharing some previous looks on Instagram at EcoChic Podcast, also on Facebook. So if you'd like to keep in touch, make sure you follow us over there. Also, if you are looking for more content about food and fashion and what it means to be truly eco-conscious in a high-glam world, so to speak, two episodes ago, we had the pleasure of conversing with Marcy Zaroff, and that was also a brilliant conversation about fashion and the eco-renaissance and what we can learn from the organic food movement. That one was just really, really great if you're looking for more content about fashion. With that, I hope you have an awesome day and I will see you next week for another episode of Eco Chic. Thanks so much for hanging out and I will see you soon. Bye.